Hello, welcome to True Crit. We're in season two now. We're talking about band discographies that we like or love, or maybe we're not that keen on, but we're going to talk about them anyway. This season, we're talking about Portishead. And this week, we arrive at the second Portishead record, which is simply titled Portishead. Yeah, they didn't go all out with a name on that one, did they? No. Well, this is a very hard one record, wasn't it? Yes. They were immediately successful when Dummy came out and got every accolade going, won the Mercury Music Prize. It's a bit of a weird prize, isn't it, to win because... It can be a bit of a poison chalice, can't it? Yeah, like most bands that have won just disappear Mm. which is like a really weird i don't know what happens the cursed prize yeah the cursed prize but anyway they won it for dummy they toured dummy really hard decided that they fucking hate touring which is is interesting when the band goes through that i think they were slightly horrified that they invented a genre written about this a bunch of times in my notes about how annoyed I am that people describe this album as trip hop it's hip hop it's not yeah. trip hop <laughs> this record is so hip hop I would be offended if I came out with a record like this and some like loser goes oh man you've invented a whole new genre of music like no I haven't I've it's like faithfully hip hop as well and it's almost to the point where a couple of tunes in particular if you were to swap out Beth with Chuck D it would still work amazingly well as like a hip-hop record. It's really obvious that they're all listening to hip-hop and they're all really big hip-hop fans. Mm. It's really obvious to me that they were most likely playing the fuck out of Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah, it does feel that way. But then, the you know, the recording process was remarkable. What they did is, rec- you know, recording the samples themselves, pressing it onto vinyl, damaging the vinyl to give it that crackly sound, and then using that in the record. Well, what a great idea. It's amazing. It's so clever. Considering how easy it is now in 2021 to make something that sounds like lo-fi hip-hop, Comparing that to 1997, you had to go a long way to get that sound. And I like that they went that way. It's great. I appreciate their hard work. Yeah, me too. I think it's interesting that they came off this first record. They went on tour. They didn't like it. They felt burnt out. They felt like everybody was kind of cashing in on the sound of that first record. Mm. I read an interview with Adrian Utley at the time and he was a little bit kind of uh, snooty about sneaker pimps, which made me (laughs) laugh. (laughs) I think it's fair to be snooty about sneaker pimps. Sorry, sneaker pimps, if you're listening.
it's a bit of an oddity, I think, because you've 1997 was, uh, I think, one of the best years for music ever. Wowzers. But you had like genre defining albums coming out that year. You had Fat of the Land, Homogenic, OK Computer, Homework. And then you've got this little creepy hip hop oddity. And what I always find interesting is in the context of its time, it was a very optimistic time back then because you had you know you had the emergence of Britpop you had the new Labour government everyone was very optimistic about that and it felt like it was a really sort of innovative exciting time to be alive I may be misremembering (laughs) but then you've got this coming out this kind of creepy weird little dark album and I can't work out how this has influenced other artists because you can hear there's so many similarities throughout the album to like, you know, melodically, production wise, but I just still can't pin it down, which there's something quite elusive about it that I really love. Because you say that about like British music, I would agree with you. That's what was going on with British music. Like we were kind of a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, we really were back then. But listen to hip hop from 97 and it sounds like this record. Mm. It's hip-hop that's been kind of filtered through some really strong English weed. (laughs) Some homegrown. Some homegrown in Bristol. But then if you think, you know, Massive Attack and Tricky, like Mm. that whole Bristol nucleus were making music, which was the antithesis of what was going on with essentially white guitar bands. Yeah, I mean, Britpop was broadly terrible. This is my hot take. But if you go back and listen, sorry, everybody. But if you go back and listen to, because there was a ton of just like manufactured Britpop bands cashing in on this new thing. And they're awful. Like, in the whole, they are awful. There's like the odd yeah. one that's okay. But if you listen, go back and listen to Britpop, it's just trash. Yeah. Generic trash, which could explain why we're still not listening to Britpop anymore. Because it's dog shit. Yeah, and that explains why we're we're revisiting this band. <laughs> what I love about this album in the context of its sound of hip hop is the themes it explores because you have Beth Gibbon, this remarkable singer, singing about there's a lot of anti capitalism on this album. Yeah. And there's a lot about love vulnerability, pain, obsession, which you wouldn't necessarily have on a hip-hop album. And I find that contrast just amazing. That's what I love about this band is they're able to balance those two things perfectly and make it a really cohesive listen. We can't really skirt around the fact that this is white people making hip-hop. We can't, no. And and I kind of feel that when that does happen, either it's Vanilla Ice or <laughs> it's stuff like the Beastie Boys and, you know, these guys. And you get something different because you're not speaking from a black experience. You're speaking from a white experience. They're probably aware of that. Hence, yeah. they use Beth Gibbons and... Yeah have her singing about these particular things. I can get contact high off this record. 
<laughs> There's a couple in particular that you just like, you can almost smell it. Yeah. Even after like nearly 30, because this record is, it's not going to be long before it's been out for 30 years. <sighs> it's still got a pungent whiff about it. Yeah. Hits from the bong. <laughs> by Beth Gibbons. <laughs> I do want to get it out of the way first that I will be wanging on about Beth's voice significantly again, like I did in the previous episode, because it is just a remarkable instrument. Um, so full disclaimer, I will be wanging on about her voice. Thanks very much. Let's jump in. So, Cowboys. Boom. I think I said when we did our first listen, I said that Beth sounded like Shirley Bassey on PCP. <laughs> you did say that. <laughs> there is a kind of Shirley Bassiness about her. Well, there's a Shirley Bassiness. There's, a, you know, there's a Billie Holiday-esque vibe that she performs as well. But she never seems to slip into pastiche. What always comes up for me now when I hear Beth Gibbons is I think Amy Winehouse. There's something in there where both of them obviously adore all these like really great strong female legends and they and they know that they're full well capable of singing the same way mm. but they don't do an impression they're not paloma faith No, they're not. Sorry, Paloma, if you're listening. I feel like I have to apologise all the time. <laughs> you're so courteous. I know. We don't like you. <laughs> Love you. Sorry. <laughs> so this song, I think, is about, well, I think it's broadly about anti-capitalist. Yeah. I think it might be about political lobbyists, perhaps. It was anti-American for sure as well. I think it's because it's called Cowboys. I think of like two things. I think of one, I think of, you know, like the cowboy builder. Yeah. And so you could be comparing politicians or kind of political, you know, just to doing like a botched job. But I also think of it being like prospectors and people, you know, going out trying to make their money at the cost of other people yeah that's exactly what i think too the double meaning but yeah she talks about no signs of regret your swollen pride assumes respect talons fly as a last disguise but no That put me in mind of the American Eagle. Yeah. Soiled coins, consumerism. But it's the way she sings it. There's a couple of songs on here, this one and another one later on, where she sounds so full of venom. Mm. It's so hard to explain, like disdain almost. But then she also sounds like a harbinger of doom as well. Her performance is just spectacular on this one. Yeah, I'd say the way that she sounds is full of piss and vinegar. <laughs> That's a really good term. I like that. She's almost holding back from pure rage. Yeah. But this threads throughout the album. Mm. There's a whole bunch of 
songs on here which are anti-capitalist and she's furious she's absolutely livid and what a way to kick off an album is this kind of even down to the oh <laughs> yeah it's kind of like boom we're back we're fucking furious about consumerism and money and politics and here's beth and she's livid this is music that you can still almost get away with putting it on in the background. Do you think they did that deliberately because of Dummy being the soundtrack of loads of middle-class dinner parties, which just cracks me up? They wanted to curdle the fondue. <laughs> yeah, they laced the fondue with bud. <laughs> yeah, this isn't weed, Shaggy. Yeah, this isn't weed, Shaggy. It definitely is a, and from the moment it opens, it's a reactive record. Because this song, it kind of sounds like a John Barry song. Mm. But it's it's John Barry on cough syrup. Yeah, purple drank. <laughs> it's got like a heaviness to it that you don't have on the previous records. Mm. And, you know, saying that the bridge on this where she says, like, undefied, no signs of regret. Your swollen pride assumes respect. It's just like, fuck you. Mm, yeah. Just fuck you. Yeah. And I like that. I like that it opens that way. Yeah. It's almost like a statement of intent, isn't it? Yeah. It's a manifesto. Mm. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, I am very excited to talk about All Mine, <laughs> the next song. <laughs> well, let's crack in. Let's crack in. This is my favourite song on the album by a long, long way. And I went a bit mad with this because I had a realisation on my millionth listen about the production and about the production juxtaposed with the song lyrics. Okay. So ostensibly this is a love song, but it's not. It's love as torture. And the production and what she's singing about it puts me in mind of somebody being waterboarded. I'm really jolly. The production of the verse is really sparse and it puts me in mind of being like in deep water. All the stars may shine bright. All the clouds may be bright. You know really deep water where you got the fish with lights above their heads, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's got this verby synth that's pulling you down and then this submerged bass. And it gives you this feeling of being pulled down and down and down. And at the end of the chorus, that little cadence that did do and the pause is coming up for air. I listened to this song millions of times and I had a sudden re realisation. I was like, this is deliberate. This is making you feel like you're being held underwater by this woman's obsession, by this woman's love in inverted commas. But actually it's, I don't want to say toxic. I want to say it's unhealthy and it's powerful. 
tethered and tied, nowhere to hide. And that key change, fuck me. I just love it. I just gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. Her voice on the chorus, that first note. What? I just love this song. And that was my take. It's being waterboarded by Beth Gibbons. (laughs) It's like a stalker song from a female perspective, isn't it? Yeah. And... Like she's like not holding back, like her obsession has taken over her life. Yeah. And the plan is just so fully realized in her head and how she will feel and what she will do to get what she wants is just completely unabashful. Yeah. It feels like she's summoning something. Yeah. That's interesting that you say that because I don't think that's the first instance where it does feel like some kind of like ancient magic being used on this record. Yeah, it really does. Which is interesting when you think about like the the folky stuff that she made with Rustin Man, Mm. because that very much alludes to that as well. Yeah. And so I like this idea of this kind of West Country pagan witch yeah making hip-hop i love it and it's like super powerful yeah and there's something ancient about it to the point where a lot of the music on this record like harkens back to like the 50s yeah yeah so there's real like goth i wrote goth kitsch as one of my describing notes but i would say those two words is not in the same way that we view them normally like gothic i just kind of think of like the baroque kind of you know like a 500 years ago yeah kind of gothic and then kitsch i think of the kind of dark underbelly under that plasticness of the 50s yes like the pure darkness of those mm. words. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Not like any of the, because like kitsch can be kind of a bit campy and a bit mm. like bright, but this is like way below that. I like what you said about the dark underbelly of the 50s because, yeah, kitsch does put you in mind of it being quite jolly, but then actually it's not at all. I have the Black Hole Sun video in my head again, John. ah the 90s something that like pops into my head quite a lot is the when i um listen to this record visually i find myself thinking about the scarlett johansson film under the skin oh yeah okay just that almost like there's like tendrils like coming out of the music Mm. there's like something like reaching out at you from the depth this is what i mean about this song being about being underwater being pulled down being pulled down into this dark mysterious ink yeah and she's there like ursula the sea witch (laughs) reaching up to get you she's just gonna kind of feast off you yeah like one of those giant squids Uh, she's gonna get you i'm frankly i'd let her (laughs) (laughs) we move on to undenied 
There's not a jolly song on this album, is there? Oh, this one puts me in mind of like a gritty French spy film. Like this kind of scene at the end where the protagonist is bleeding to death in a warehouse. <laughs> I like how we are we're talking about films because it's very obvious like how all three of them are really informed by film soundtracks. It's a really obvious thing to say about this album that everything sounds cinematic, particularly all mine that we've just talked about. It's just what they do. It's everything is cinematic and sprawling or it's so evocative. They're just so good at it. A lot of it is informed the the kind of cinematic thing because knowing that Jeff Barrow was just this colossal hip-hop nerd and still yeah. is yeah you know he made he, he put out a hip-hop record last year or this year i can't remember it this year or last year it's funny you should say about the film thing because this one undenied it really really so i have spent the last however many weeks trying to work out what piece of classical music it reminds me of i'm sure it's from a film because i've just literally been googling sad piano music from a film <laughs> <laughs> cannot find it. I thought it was Amelie, but it's not. I can't hit the nail on the head. It's driving me mad. It's the TV show, The Incredible Hulk. No, it's not it for me. I know what you mean, though. Because I had the same thing. I was like, I fucking know this. Yeah. And then my light bulb, I was like, this just sounds like the sad music from The Incredible Hulk, which just, <laughs> just is hilarious to me. <laughs> See, I didn't get that. But then there you go. Maybe it's nothing. And it's so evocative that it's making us think, where is this from? And I love that it's made me do that. I love that it's made me go, come on, where the hell is this from? It really reminds me of something. And I have, honestly, I have driven myself up the wall trying to work out what what it's from. I've almost, it does almost sound like one of the pieces from the Amelie soundtrack, which obviously came after this album, I think. Did Amelie come out after or before this album? There you go. So, yeah, it wouldn't have been influenced by Amelie because Amelie came out afterwards. Because I was saying about with Jeff Barrow, being such like a hip hop nerd and what hip hop created was this drive to find amazing samples. Yeah. And it's long been a consensus that there were so many amazing samples in like film soundtracks, mm. which then turned film soundtracks into being something that people wanted to listen to. Yeah. That definitely wasn't something in 97. If you were a collecting connoisseur, you would be like, yeah, there's some good film soundtracks out there. Yeah. There's like a whole industry around it now, but that mm. did not exist in, like vinyl didn't barely existed in 97. Mm. No, like no one was talking about vinyl in 97. No, not the way they are now. But that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> <laughs> that's on our media dad's podcast <laughs> <laughs> 
just the pure unabashed hip hop, and I'm just going to keep saying hip hop because. So you're going to keep saying hip hop, and I'm going to yeah. keep talking about Beth's voice because Beth's voice on this one, holy shit, the control she has over her voice is phenomenal. I'm just mm. in awe of her as a singer. It's just so delicate, and it's barely even a breath in this song as well. It compels you. It compels you to listen carefully to what she's saying. It draws you in. I just love it. This is a great album. And I I like the attention to detail that they have on her vocal production. Yeah. It's not the same on every track. Every single track will take you by surprise. Mm. Yeah. And that is best shown or best heard on this next track, Half Day Closing. This is one of the best on the album, I think. This is my favourite on the records. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. It's just the production of it. The production of it is just, it's fucking audacious because it's completely disarming how it sounds. Mm. So you've got, in the left speaker, is a quiet drum track. And it's all like beaten up. It's quite jarring. Yeah, there's like no grace or fidelity about it. That, like that's no. all like out the window. I'd say if you are going to listen to this album, you really have to listen. And I don't want to sound like a dick, <laughs> but you will get the best from it, particularly this song if you listen to it with headphones. Because this song is made for headphones. Yeah, or come round to mine. Portishead party round yours. Summer yeah. 2021. Woohoo! Portishead pool party. <laughs> I'll bring my paddling pool. Stick some beers in there. Be all right. Beer ping pong to some porter's head. <laughs> yeah, sounds fucking lit. <laughs> <laughs> summer twenty, summer twenty twenty one is lit, yo. <laughs> it's lit, yo. I'm sitting in a paddling pool <laughs> in John's living room. <laughs> so you've got this drum sound. You've got this like really nice bass line going on. And it's just tight, but it's just not... The sonic palette isn't where it should be. It's all, like, disrupted. Mm. And it just sounds like the worst trip ever. It's like you've taken some acid and just the fucking walls are melting with blood. And you just don't know what the fuck is going on. Mm. I like being put in that situation. <laughs> But it's just so deliberately jarring and evocative. It puts me in mind of like a desolate housing estate. I just did, I just picture like an abandoned shopping trolley with an old cathode ray TV <laughs> shoved in it. Do you know what I mean? That's it's like the video to come to daddy. Yes. Like Apex Twin. I tell you what, because like when we're like talking about the mid 90s and we're talking about new labor, this is like having a go at that saying it's fucking bullshit yeah of course it is and it's about the good old days that actually there's no such thing as the good old days it's quite depressing really that we are now almost 30 years on 
when you think that Margaret Thatcher said that Tony Blair was her greatest invention. And so then you think about line the lines in this where she says... That's all that yeah. game is. It's just a business. It's like when she says, like, dreams and belief have gone, time, life itself goes on. And it does, and it just keeps marching. Things just keep marching on. Mm-hmm. And money talks and leaves us hypnotised. It don't pave the way. Bleak as fuck, isn't it? It's very much just a blunt truth. Yeah, that's what I mean. Do you think, I don't think a blunt truth is necessarily bleak, but. I mean, looking back at it now, this was 1997. Literally nothing's changed and nothing will ever change. And there's nothing we can do about it. I don't know. I've got a pretty good phone. (laughs) Well, you know, there is that. We are recording a podcast from our respective living rooms. Yeah. Hundreds of miles away from each other. So, you know, look at the bright side. What a jolly album to pick. Next week, we're talking about Things Can Only Get Better by Dereen. <laughs> and Professor Brian Cox. <laughs> but this is my favourite track on the record. And there is a huge, which blew my mind. And I don't know if you've heard it, but there is a huge Beatles reference in this song. Is there? Like... It's the so massive. Somebody is counting the bars of the song, bar by bar, all the way through this, just saying like one, two, three. I think they count up to about, I think they count up to about 29 or so, which is what happens in the mad bit in day in the life you hear i think and if you're a beatles head don't have a go at me about this but i think <laughs> it's the engineer jeff emmerich counting out the bars so that the orchestra like knew where they were and that's that's the bit that builds up to the bit when you get to paul mccartney's part in a day in the life but that never happens you're just in the craziness section and somebody's counting the bars and when i heard that i was like that's day in the life that's amazing i didn't even notice that casually referencing the beatles what a bombshell and that to me is humorous in such this kind of dark weird (laughs) unsettling song there's just the beatles reference in there for no reason it doesn't connect to anything it's just there it's a sweet little red herring. Yeah. Like a, what do you call it? Easter egg. Yeah. And I've listened to this song really carefully. Well, go and listen to it again, Lizzie. Yes, John, I will. I'll report <laughs> back. That told me. <laughs> You'll be like messaging me at like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Holy shit, John. <laughs> I've been up for like 24 hours and I still can't fucking hear it. Oh dear. I've like acoustic proofed my whole house. Yeah, and I still can't hear it. <laughs> I've driven myself insane by not being able to hear a single noise apart from the counting. You'd be like Gene Hackman at the end of the conversation. <laughs> 
let's not do that. I've got a busy yeah. week, so I probably won't be able to fit it in. <laughs> to me, this album is broadly timeless. I think it's kind of, it's not. It sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday to me. It does. There's a couple of bits in this one. And then the melody on Half Day Closing does sound quite 90s. It's quite a 90s melody. And it, and again, it's one of those moments where I'm like, who's been influenced by this? Because there's a familiarity about the melodies and the lyrics that she's that they use that it just, I don't know. I don't know whether they're doing it deliberately or what, that it just jars on me. But I love it. I love it. I like being made to feel things by music. Mm. I need to talk about in the context of each other. Okay. Because this is my phenomenal big take. This is my big take about the album. Let's so go. I've listened Let's... To, I've to this a bunch of times, okay? So over, humming, and morning air are the next three songs. And I've, when I was listening to this album, I was like, well, what are they about? They're all about the same sort of thing. It feels like a bit of a filler, what's going on? And then it dawned on me that the next three songs are an album within the album. And it's a triptych exploring the same idea, the same event that's happened to her. And if you even look at the three songs, they are at middle. So these three songs in the middle, four songs either side. And I really think they've done it deliberately. I think they've got these three songs that are kind of, they're all unique. They stand up on their own. But the themes and what they're, what she's singing about is the same thing, but coming at it from different angles. She's mulling this over. She's mulling over this affair I think she's been having where she feels guilt. She feels like she's become somebody she doesn't want to necessarily be. It's gone too far. She can't confess. She has to keep it a secret. But then she's also thinking maybe it's time for us to come clean. These three songs are three parts of a whole. And that is my big take about this album. And they were very clever. I really think that's what they did. That's amazing. Yeah, because this song, Over, because she talks about treading a fantasy openly. I can't hold this day anymore. Understand me. this fantasy openly what have I done it's something that was in her head she's kind of wrought real mm. and now it is real it's just too much I feel like she's having an affair and it doesn't feel like it's a a nice situation it doesn't feel like it's a love situation it feels like it's illicit or it's like high stakes yeah there's like a huge amount of risk around what she's doing and it's very painful for her as well like she's just fucking fed up mate <laughs> she's furious in this album she's fed up she's furious she's sad she's vulnerable it's this idea of like ancient magic kind of comes up again in this for me because it feels like it's talking about love but if it just feels like this kind of i think because of the music like the juxtaposition of the music it feels like this real 
like cosmic obsession it's this huge power that's like more than than what you can just feel physically it's but i mean inner physicality Mm. it's got this idea of just it being a weight it's oppressive it's this kind of solid mass that is just affecting like every fiber of your being yeah that's like such a strong feeling to hold isn't it yeah it's really powerful you know when you first fall in love with somebody not even love I think like the first throes of a relationship when you're sort of in lust and it's all of your like hormones telling you to bond and mate hey welcome to sexy chat it can make you go a bit mad it can make you go a bit kind of struggle using the words mad and crazy but you do feel like you're not in control of yourself you feel like obsessed you can't stop thinking about that person you want to be with them all the time and it almost feels as if you have been taken over and your mind isn't your own and there's a physicality to it as well like you can ache for somebody like you can really just feel completely it can be very very devastating destructive feelings sometimes when you're in that situation with somebody maybe that's just me (laughs) (laughs) but it's but it's also when maybe it's one-sided because a lot of the lyrics on this do feel one-sided yeah it's always her perspective yeah it's always her perspective it's always her pain it's always her feelings and it's her kind of ruminating on it and that's how this this song particularly feels I yeah think. she's almost like she's having a conversation with herself like a conversation in her own head it's very kind of inner voice isn't it yeah and it's painful as well like the final line that when she says it's taking me over the way she sings it, it sounds like a wail like she's crying yeah It's amazing. And then that's not even talking about the music either, because the music's like... The distorted bass drum in oh, this. yeah. Love it. The bass drum in this is is like... I think they're kind of running it through like a, like a ring modulation. Mm. So you've got this really... The thud of the kick, but then you've got all this like frequency around it. This mm. is kind of... Um, chaotic distortion and it just it just sounds amazing and then when you think of you know the kick is always like associated with like the heart and so you think like the heart is is kind of just giving out this like chaotic distortion yeah love that it sounds like a pounding heart yeah inside the body Mm. and then mars attacks humming So is that a theremin yeah. or is it a theremin like slung through a synth? No, it's like a hundred percent a theremin, maybe with some like reverb on it. Inject it into my veins. I love it. Ooh. <laughs> it's so good. I just 
fucking love it. <laughs> There's a part of me that hates that the theremin is associated with Tim Burton, kind of slash Danny Elfman. They've kind of they kind of like took that instrument, and when people hear it, they they think it is like, well, I'm not Mars Attacks. Yeah, Mars Attacks. <laughs> I think of it as more because like the theremin's like is kind of at the birth of like synthesis, one of the earlier like electronic musical instruments. Mm. Bob Moog, before he was making Moog synthesizers, he was selling make your own theremin kits in the post. That's where he started. So you could, you know, send your check off to Bob Moog and he'd send you the the components. And then you'd build oh your God. own theremin. I want to build my own theremin. Do it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I've got some like, I don't know. I've got some old wires in the cupboard. <laughs> be all right. I've got a GCSE in electronics. Yeah, be sure. I'll work it out. <laughs> Woman burns down house. <laughs> yes, yes. Whilst making a funny, spooky noise. But. I like my note says like Spielberg B movie. Yeah, it is. It's real B movie. I even I, it did also. Here we go with the influences again. It really put me in mind of Felt Mountain by Goldfrapp as well. Yeah, I think Goldfrapp owe Portishead a lot. Yeah, oh, most definitely huge amount. Even down to the vocalist because mm. you know Alison Goldfrapp uses her voice in a really similar way to Beth Gibbon, probably more so actually. She uses it as an instrument. She's one of my favourite vocalists, Alison Goldfrapp. Literally uses it as an instrument. Like Goldfrapp is kind of like the horny version of Portishead, isn't it? <laughs> That's such a good way to describe them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Portishead after a long weekend in Berlin. It's the opposite. It's like, what's the opposite of Portishead? Goldfrap. But there's just so many like production details on this song and just the placement of everything, like the way mm. the strings and the theremin work. Mm, beautiful. There's all these like cool like blips and like scratches. So it's like using the record player as an instrument, mm. which again is this hip hop thing. It's this like weird, like feedback loop of you use a record player to play music on, but you can use it to make music. Yeah. Yeah. And they're completely kind of crossing over mm. that boundary, like again and again and again on this record. Yeah. And it's audacious as well with the use of the, the orchestra and and intertwining classical instruments with scratching and modern instruments and the production. And it's just like, fuck yeah, we're Portishead. Yeah. And it's like, there's guitar, there's bass, there's drums, there's keyboards. There's like your conventional band, but this record is in no way at any moment, a conventional like chart topping records. No, it just continually breaks every single in you know commas rule mm. it just proves to you that, that there is no rules and it is about how the music makes you feel yeah and that just goes a really long way mm. 
And then we're on to Morning Air, which is the final part of the trilogy with the album within the album. And again, it's this is quite a hip hoppy one, I think. The the bass in this, this that soft sort of languid bass. trumpets which have been i don't know they sound they sound like they've been compressed almost yeah they've just been it just sounds like they've just got a scouring pad like a wire wool and just kind of fucked it up what is interesting because we say it's morning air but it's not the air of the morning that is can be so enjoyable it's morning as in morning a loss Yes, exactly. And that's why, and this thematically links through those three songs because she's, it's potentially the end of this affair, this relationship that she's been having. And that's what she's been exploring these last three songs. So it's, yeah, it's an ending. And she potentially has decided that she wants to be truthful about this relationship. She wants to be honest with the world about it, but it's it can't happen. It's illicit. It's an affair. Yeah. I don't know how, because this song sounds like there's bits of it which sound really warm, but then the album as a whole feels so stark and cold. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. I think just the combined forces of the three of them want to make this really stark, ghostly music. Yeah. And it's it's things are kind of shifting, but they're not quite in focus. And everything's quite kind of opaque. I love it. I fucking love it as well. I've really enjoyed picking it apart, like really, really enjoyed it. And uh, as if to compound my theory, the next song, Seven Months, is such a stark change in vocal style because, again, she's back to her summoning. She's fucking furious about something again in seven months. Straight away, boom. How can I forget you? That sort of... she's ready she's gonna sorry beth didn't mean to do an impression of you that's quite good (laughs) but it's that sudden change it gives me goosebumps every time i hear it how can i forget you disregard how i feel Because you've had these kind of three really sad, kind of laid back, sort of mournful, doleful songs. And then boom, chilling. This one is so hip hop, this one. As long as 
just like continually thought like why seven months is that seven deadly sins it could be what yeah. are you thinking like seven's like regarded as like a lucky number isn't it yeah so maybe it's kind of just like well i'm at seven months now seven should be this lucky number but I'm just rising from a bin every morning. <laughs> yeah. But then you've got the seven-year itch as well, though. Yeah. Which isn't a thing, by the way. No, it isn't. I just like the idea of, of it being like a magical number. And just this, there is, without a shadow of a doubt, this underlying folky magic in this record. Mm, yeah. What a weird, amazing combination, witchcraft and hip-hop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well again it's like it's wicker man isn't it yeah it's all these kind of tones that that this record suggests to me and you know and don't look now like the film the donald sutherland film making me think about midsummer but that you know because that riffs all of those films itself yeah of course but it's this kind of female revenge thing isn't it it's this wronged woman I wouldn't say it's the power of the wronged woman, but it's the almighty fury of the life-giving feminine energy, isn't it? It's like the reverse of that. Yes. I didn't think we'd talk about this. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I'm going to start summoning some demons in a minute. Build a pyramid in my garden. That's the other flip of the coin, isn't it? Mm. You know, we undoubtedly say that life comes from the female, well, in a physical sense. Mm -hmm. And so if we flip that energy, then it's just this. It's, it's not a common trope, though, is it? It's not a common trope for a woman to be destructive. No. Like you say, it's flipping that on its head. The maker and the destroyer. Yeah. Oh, go on, Beth. That's very much like your English folklore, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's all in this. I didn't even go down that route, but you are bang on, I think. He's bang on. <laughs> Should we talk about Only You? Yeah. This is vibey, isn't it? I haven't said vibey yet. This is like super RZA. This just <laughs> sounds so much like a RZA production. Good to scratching at the start. Yeah, I think they were like, let's make something that sounds like a RZA song. But it's just a perfect showcase of their style, isn't it? It's the production, it's the scratching, it's the jarring performance, the little organ jabs, Beth's tortured vocals, the dramatic orchestra. It's just like, it's just Portishead 101, this one. It's the Portishead they want to be, yeah. not the Portishead that people think they are. Exactly. I think this just, I fucking love this one. I like that she says... I really like the fact that she says... A wooden heart. Turn it though. Yeah. Well, turn as in turning. Like making it. Like woods. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's only you that can like make my love. Mm. The bass is 
just slightly off key on this one. And I love how high up it is in the mix because it almost sounds like a second vocalist, I think. Yeah. It's that kind of jarring production again as well that sort of compels you and draws you in. Because you think, is that off tune? Is that out, if, is that out of key? It's just slightly. And I love things like that. I think we talk, we talk about that in season one about the way Don sings sometimes is just like very slightly off key and how yeah. it kind of draws you in a little bit. This is like the other single off the records. <laughs> Mad releasing that as a single. <laughs> I know, it's amazing. It's just like, fuck you. <laughs> and while we were talking about the Come to Daddy video, yeah, that's directed by Chris Cunningham. The video to this song, directed by Chris Cunningham. Ah, that makes sense. So it all, it all thematically ties together. Yeah. Huh. It's all water from the same pool, isn't it? Exactly. The same exactly. muddy, psychedelic pool. <laughs> yes, full of sea witches. It's like some kind of, like, yeah, primordial, mystical, lysergic soup. And it's funny you should say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you keep doing this. You keep tying in really well to the next song, because Elysium, the next one, blown away. I was like, this is frogs. This is frogs in a swamp. And then I realised they're making that sound of frogs chirruping in a swamp by scratching. Mm. It's so fucking clever. Because all the lyrics on this record are super simple and they're very much designed to be that way. Yeah. No one has said what the truth should be. And no one decided that I feel this way. And I love that. Mm. I love that it's talking about how your truth, that's where the line stops. Like, the line stops at it being your truth. Is this about religion? I get like a sci-fi vibe off this. Oh, okay. I get like a kind of, because it's like Elysium and I kind of think of like Brave New World or I think of like this, this idea of, of people being kind of like shut off, like segregated. Yeah. But then to me, that's basically saying, fuck off. To me, it's just religion is bullshit. Yeah. It's called Elysium, obviously. Elysium was heaven, wasn't it, for yeah. Greek mythology? But then it's contrast against this, because it's throughout the whole record, it sounds like it's in a swamp. Yeah. So you've got this idea of a lush heaven. It's like lush green. It's, a, it, it's the Elysium fields, isn't it? Yeah. And it's this lush green place, but then actually it's a swamp. It's a boggy swamp. And there's these kind of, yeah, there's like the toads or the frogs like chirruping in the dark. It's not a very nice place. Yeah. So that's where I was sort of coming from. Like you despise me for who I am, how I despise myself. But that's not really her despising herself. That's religion and religion's view of her. Yeah. Or maybe, here we go. <laughs> Maybe she is some kind of like wronged Greek god or Greek goddess and she's furious. Or it's just like the bogginess of 
dogmatic religion mm. how it just just keeps you like rooted and you're just trying to wade through the the drudgery of life mm. and you're kept there because you've got to obey these holy scriptures that somehow tell you how to live your life yeah but then at the end she's like no fuck you you don't get to decide for me you can't decide for me you can't deny how i feel and why should you decide for me i'm just gonna burn you all to the fucking ground yeah she's fuming <laughs> i'm really like i'm fu- i'm loving this mythology kind of folklore angle that you've taken it's it's there yeah it really is it's, it's given me a completely different slant on this album that's reiterated in the last song yes so western eyes because she talks about with western eyes and serpent's breath This is another anti-capitalist song. It's an anti-West. It's about, to me, like the white person as the devil. Yes. And it's very interesting because this is probably the most traditional production on the record. Mm. Mm. Like it's got a very clean, like strings loop on it. It's got a really big sounding piano. Like the vocal sounds like completely just straightforward. There's like no processing on it. No. Just a very well-recorded, clean vocal. Yeah, and it's all down to her p- vocal performance as well. She sounds really like Billie Holiday in this one. Yeah. At the start of it. But it's, yeah, it's 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 kind of like a, yeah, anti-capitalism, like anti-Western or like anti, like, Europe, like white European colonialism. Well, it's, it's this, yeah, it's this idea of, so I... One of my notes is, yes, isn't fast fashion awful, but ooh, there's an ASOS discount code. Gotta love those ASOS discount codes. Gotta get a dissy on my trainers, but it's how we as Westerners see war, famine, natural disasters from the safety of our geographical location and by the merit or chance of our birth. And we know we are if partially, if not entirely responsible for it. But we're able to disconnect from it and we're able to just think that it's nothing to do with us and it's just not going to affect us because it's not happening to us. Our our capability to do that is quite staggering in the West, I think. Mm. This lack of responsibility or lack of understanding that it's, you know, not necessarily you or I directly have done all of these things, but our countries the activities of our countries elsewhere in the world have caused all of these terrible things to happen. Yeah. To crucify, invalidating, turning to dishonesty. Yeah. They lay our own conscience to rest. They they dare to be hidden heroes candidly. Is Tonti Blair behind this? <laughs> <laughs> I've been wanting to say that since you mentioned him earlier on. <laughs> It's great. But it is, isn't it? Mm. And it's us fucking up, causing all of the problems, staying well out of it, and then wading in later as the heroes when it's our fault in the first place. Yeah, because we're just churning the money. 
Exactly. We're the ones manufacturing and selling arms and making loads of money out of it. We're the ones funding oppressive regimes like and on the quiet and then wandering and going, well, you can't do up. that. Yeah. Do, you've gone too far now. We're going to clean it all up. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucked and yeah. it hasn't changed at all. And this is, yeah. And this just encapsulates all of that. Yeah. A real it, cheery number to end on, eh? But it ends, it actually ends on a fake sample. Yes. It ends on a fake sample credited to a band called The Sean Atkins Experience. Well, the song itself credited as Hookers and Gin. And so it ends with someone singing, I feel so cold on Hookers and Gin. This mess we're in. Fucking love that. So a record of fake samples and hip hop and the deep dark feelings of emotion around illicit relationships the undercurrent of english folklore what a fucking record yeah it's great and it's so much more than just a dinner party background album they could have just gone for the money but that's just not what they were about that wasn't the music they lived that wasn't the lives that they lived no they listen to what is regarded to as like outsider music. They're not a pop band. There's a massive difference in age between them as well. Adrian Utley now is like in his like late fifties. Like Jeff Barrow Mm. is in his like mid forties or early forties. And then Beth is in between the two and just three people that met that wanted to make interesting music that they liked. Yeah. What better remit can you have to, to than to start a band? Um, bought a fucking band. Mm. So we'll be back two we weeks time. Two weeks time to talk about a record that took a very fucking long time to make. Yeah, I appreciate that though. <laughs> Keep it us waiting. So yeah, Portishead third two weeks time be here now oh no (laughs) (laughs) thanks thanks for listening see you later ciao this podcast is a proud member of the bff.fm podcast network learn more at podcast.bff.fm bff.fm best frequencies forever